You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome, everybody, and uh, you are here live with me, Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, here on Pet Life Radio, and I am coming to you live from Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, where, you know, it's funny, uh, I was just thinking, in Mammoth, California, they had just uh, dumped something like 20 or 30 inches of snow, and here I am, it's 90 degrees and hot and muggy, you know, just a two-hour plane ride away, it's, it's unbelievable. So uh, anyway, we're here to talk about a few things. I want to, of course, thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products and Kong for allowing us to be here. I want to hear from you. So I want you to give us a call. It's very easy. You can either just pick up the phone and call 877-385-8882, or you can join in to uh, the conversation here on PetLifeRadio.com. Click on the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab, and you are going to be here live with us. Lastly, you can send me a quick email to drjeff, that's Dr. Jeff, at PetLifeRadio.com. So um, we were um, all away last week. And I wanted to, first of all, hear from anybody who had any issues with Halloween. Interestingly, here I am talking all about Halloween, potential problems with candy, with wrappers, with chocolate, with kids, with dogs biting, all the costumes, all the things we talked about. And I had, I don't know, maybe 30 or so pieces of of little mini Snickers and little mini mounds left over. Now, mind you, we have a, a door that separates the living room front door entry hall from the rest of the house purposely because of my many pets. And we had to keep at least one room in the house, the living room, pet-free because some people that come over might be allergic to pets. Um, It's nice to have one room in the house that you don't have to vacuum every single 20 minutes or use a Swiffer. So uh, this room is behind double glass doors. So it still has that feel of an entry, but the dogs and cats can't get in there. Well, my... Four-year-old yellow lab proved me wrong as someone did leave the door a bit ajar. And all of a sudden, I come home. This is Monday evening. This is the Monday after Halloween. The bucket that we had all this candy in by the front door was empty. So I figured, oh, okay, smart. Somebody put it away. So I'm going to go look for it where we would normally keep things like that, our cookies and candy, the junk that I kind of like to munch on. And it's not there. So I ask everybody, does anyone see in the candy? Oh, yeah. Tommy got a hold of it. Tommy is my five-year-old, four-and-a-half-year-old yellow Labrador who will eat anything that's not bolted down or that doesn't eat him first. And somehow, how I have no idea, nobody does, he got to that sacred part of the house where no pets are allowed, and he devoured all by himself the remaining pieces of Snickers and Mounds, much to buy in dismay because I only buy candy that I like because I know that if there's anything left over, I'm going to want to eat it. So sure enough, all gone. Now, here is a very large 75, 80-pound yellow Labrador, healthy as can be. And fortunately, as I mentioned, milk chocolate is probably the least serious of our problems. But I would say, even though he's been eating, he's been doing everything perfectly fine. For the last, oh, I'd say, well, even still, guess what's coming out of his other end? 
candy wrappers. Fortunately, because they're small, those little bite-sized pieces, there's nothing there that's going to obstruct him, and everything is coming out, and he's acting fine. But, you know, I can't believe it that of all dogs, it would be one of my dogs, the same guy who is telling you all to be so careful and to keep pets away, and uh, he's impossible. So, anyway, fortunately, he's good. Um, you know, it's probably good for me, too, because, you know, I wouldn't say better him, but better someone else eating the candy than me eating that candy. It's not that I need it. I kind of like it. But uh, anyway, it's just, it, it is hysterical. Being down here in Mexico, it's, it's interesting. First of all, it's, the weather's gorgeous. You'd not know that in certain parts of the country, uh, though I hear New York has been uh, having this little bit of a heat wave itself. It was in the high 70s the other day. But many parts of the country are starting to cool down. Uh, one of the things we do want to talk about is cold weather, but while I'm here, I actually spoke to, I, I'm getting a lot, of, there are a lot of mosquitoes here. And um, actually at this resort that we're at, actually every room has mosquito repellent to spray on you before you go outside to the beach or the pool. And um, I think that that's uh, you know, rather interesting. And I actually spoke to a local veterinarian. I'm just curious, and why I'm curious, A, the mosquitoes, and B, when Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast and Louisiana big time, New Orleans, we saw a lot of dogs that were shipped to the West by some of these rescue agencies from the shelters there. They were, they were being overloaded. Animals were having to be put to sleep. And a lot of the rescue groups, you know, came in for the, saving these pets. And um, we saw an inordinate amount of heartworm disease. Now, what's so interesting and so sad, and for many of you in many parts of the country that do have mosquito problems, certainly in the South, Texas states, the Gulf Coast, Florida, Louisiana, this is a year round for you guys, and in the Northeast, where it gets very humid during the spring and summer, there's a big mosquito population. In the Sierras, in the West, there's a large mosquito population. Fortunately, in Los Angeles area, in very dry climates, we still don't have a huge mosquito problem. However, that's going to be changing because we're starting to see a certain number of species of mosquitoes that are adapting to our drier climates. And wouldn't you know it, because that's what insects do. Insects will figure out a way to keep themselves brewing and generating and sort of more and more insects. And the dry climate, humidity, less humidity mosquito is, is already here. Now it just needs to multiply, which I have no doubt they will do. But what struck home, as I am in the midst now of treating a dog that was out here from the east, it, is, it was a rescue, and it was positive for heartworm disease, and we are in the midst of treatment. And I realize, you know, here's a disease that is so preventable and not expensive to prevent and easy to detect early. And yet, we are seeing so many animals stricken with disease, animals that are having been put to sleep, animals that are in shelters that have this disease, and it's a shame. So, though for most of you, fortunately, as we enter soon, our winter is not far away. Uh, we are in the midst of our autumn. Uh, weather is cooling down. For most parts of the country, the mosquito population, even if it were there during the spring and summer, uh, we are starting to see a decline in the mosquito population, which is great. But still, don't forget, come spring at any time, have your pets, your dogs tested for heartworm and get them on prevention. Cats as well. Don't think that cats are free from this. Cats as well. And the, the real problem with cats is that there really is no treatment for cats. So prevention is there. Detection is there. But treatment is not. So it's very, very important to uh, make sure that your cats are um, tested 
and you could start them on prevention programs as well. So uh, two things, heartworm, I want to hear from you, 877-385-8882. If you've ever had a pet that uh, tested positive for heartworm, I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to hear what it was that got you to, you know, what were your early signs? Share them with us so we can share them with our listeners, with our viewers to find out just what they should do, could do. Because just coming from one guy here on the West Coast where we don't have a heartworm problem, that is not going to cut it. We need to hear from those of you that have had heartworm disease and are able to um, help other listeners make sure that their pets don't end up with this deadly, deadly disease. So going from one extreme, pardon the pun, to the other, uh, I am here in a warm, warm weather, not having to worry about cold weather tips for your pets. And yet, and yet, we are not too far from some really cold weather coming in. As a matter of fact, in some parts of the country, it has already begun. And, you know, I spend a lot of time during the warmer months talking about heat issues, making sure your pets have plenty of water. And these are very, very important things to keep an eye on. And, you know, not exercising in the middle of the day. I mean, all of these things are very important. But guess what? Just because the weather is cooling off now in fall, it may not be a problem. In the spring, early spring may not be a problem. But we are not too far away from winter months. And there are a lot of issues that we can see in pets during winter. And it is equally as important to protect our pets from the cold weather as it was through the warm weather. So it's you know something that I want all of you to be aware of. And um, some of the first things, again, whereas we wanted to avoid midday exercise, exercise in the, you know, in the, the heat of the day, we also want to avoid exercise during the winter in the early morning hours and the late night hours where it's actually colder. During the winter, if we can take advantage of the sunshine in the middle of the day, that's what we want to do. So it is sort of the opposite. If you are in very, very ultra freezing weather, you need to come up with some pretty smart ways to prevent the dogs from freezing that are outside. So they actually need shelter. Now, this time it's not shelter from the sun. It's shelter from the wind and wind chill because that is where we have problems during the winter. So it's uh, very, very important to keep that in mind. Water easily, when you put water in a bowl, it freezes over. So you need to start thinking about now that you have time to prepare are finding these really cool water bowls that are either heated. I've seen some. There's sort of a, a double thickness. And in the inside of the water bowl, there's antifreeze. So it is always there. It's permanently sealed. And what it can do is help prevent the water from freezing. But I think the easiest thing to do, you can find these bowls that have heating elements inside. You can also start with warmer water, but that's not going to last very long when it's super, super cold. Uh, wind chill is, is typically when people, or, or heaven forbid, it's like these mountain climbers. When they freeze, it's not because necessarily of the cold as much as the wind chill. So it is very, very, very important that you want to keep your pets totally protected from the wind. So some sort of shelter. If you have a doggy door, if it goes into a garage, if it goes into a shed, even to a doghouse. In fact, as a matter of fact, now there are really cool heated floor heaters that you can get for your doghouse. Well, not your doghouse, but your dog's doghouse. And that too would be a very, very wise thing to do to prepare for the winter coming up. 
So uh, anyway, it's getting that time. We have to take our quick break. So we're going to break for a few minutes. When we do come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about things that you could do now in advance to beat that cold winter instead of having to deal with it once it's too late. Don't go away. We'll be right back here. Pet Life Radio's Ask the with Dr. Jeff. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. We mature, handsome types need a little special attention. Does your dog suffer from joint and arthritis pain? Deteriorating muscle and joint problems are very common in aging dogs. It's easy to alleviate your dog's discomfort at home with ProSense. ProSense joint care products can help make your dog's life as pain-free as possible, providing effective relief for flare-ups and also lubricate and strengthen damaged cartilage. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our chicken rolled food as a meal or shred it as a topper. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com And welcome back. You are here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, coming to you live from Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, where I am actually outside coming to you. It's uh, beautiful in the background. I don't know if you can see the ocean, the palm trees, gorgeous weather. So for those of you that are not lucky enough to be in weather like this, I feel sorry for you. I hope it's not too cold where you are, but uh, this is really, really nice. So before the break, speaking of cold, we were talking about making some early planning as many parts of the country are about to start their winter come November. And I think that that is just important to be prepared. So just some things you know. First of all, it gets cold out there. You do not want to leave a pet outside during the night when it's you know freezing and below. Yes, they have coats that can help them. Certainly the Arctic breeds, the Huskies, the Malamutes, the Samoyeds do fare better in this you know weather in the cold like this, but they too need protection from the wind chill. So um, make sure that dogs that are gonna be left outside during the day at least do have protection from the wind. Make sure they have their floor heaters or heaters available to them. Make sure that they have water heaters 
that can keep their water from freezing up and just turning to a block of ice when you take them for walks. Remember that a lot of municipalities put lots of salt on the ground, so you're going to want to find some solution, things like paw savers, things like there these little booties, the pet booties that go on, paw protectors, any of those things that you might put on your dogs before the walks so they don't get irritated from the salt that's being put down on the ground to help melt snow. Keep the walk short. Also, remember one thing, that these small dogs have larger body surface areas relative to their weight. So when you see that small breed, that Maltese, that Yorkie, that Chihuahua, that Dachshund, whatever, and they are wearing those funky-looking jackets, sweaters, whatever, don't laugh, okay? Because they do lose more heat, their body heat, per body weight surface area than the big dogs do on a relative basis. So therefore, they do need those little jackets, those sweaters. So yeah, they may look funny, man, they may be cute depending on, on who you are, what you have. Personally, you know, a guy uh, having big dogs mostly, though I do have my Frenchies, never had a problem with that because I do live in California. But having said that, they are often a necessity. So when you see them, either no comment at all, comment how cute they look and tell the truth, or comment how cute they look and don't tell the truth. Regardless, don't say anything mean because they do need them. So Often I do like to share, unless there's a question coming in, 877-385-8882, give me a call and we can talk about something else. Join in the conversation here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. Or you can send me a quick email to drjeff, drjeff at petliferadio.com. It'll be forwarded to me and we can talk about something else. But I do like to uh, kind of share cases I have because when I see a case, I know that I'm not the only veterinarian on the planet and my client is not the only client on the planet having this problem. So if I can help you learn from something that we've experienced through a case, then I feel like I'm doing my job here on Pet Life Radio to inform you, to educate you, hopefully to make it fun, and to help you better understand some of the disease processes that we have to deal with. So we've talked about, I know I've gone through all of the endocrine diseases. We did talk about diabetes, and I told you the good, the bad, the ugly, the differences between Dog diabetes, which is type 1 juvenile onset, insulin-dependent diabetes, to the feline diabetes, which is typically type 2 adult onset type diabetes, which may not necessarily be all insulin-dependent. And all the things we talk about in treating these cases, when I see them happening, all the warnings I can give you, and it happens to us, I say, okay, you know what? I got to share this because it is so important for you to know. If you're going to have a cat with diabetes, it's not easy for a number of reasons. First of all, it's not always insulin dependent. So you can have a cat that it was stress dependent, it was diet dependent, even in a cat that's not obese. And you can put them on insulin and then this time their own insulin starts kicking in and guess what? They've been given too much insulin and their blood sugar drops dramatically. And then so what happens is with that drop in blood sugar, sometimes the body responds by sort of decreasing the amount of insulin and pouring more blood sugar, breaking down carbs into blood sugar to help the body combat its own problem. And then we get an elevation of blood sugar. This is called the Samoji effect. And we had a case in just like this where we had a, a cat that was getting its insulin, seemingly doing fine. Oh, by the way, another problem we have with insulin is we know when we treat a dog with diabetes, dogs are pretty predictable when it comes to food. If it's there, they're going to eat it. So usually what we do is we'll give the insulin first because we trust 
that within a short period afterwards, 15 minutes, when we put their food down, they're going to eat. Cats, however, are a little bit different. So if you give the insulin first to a cat, and then you put the food down, and it just be, <laughs> so happens, it's one of these days that cat says, you know, I'm not that hungry right now, or I liked that food yesterday or for the past month, but I'm not having it today. And all of a sudden, you've already given the insulin. You're already sending that blood sugar into the cells for energy. Typically, you want to give them insulin at a point where they're going to eat or have just eaten. So now their insulin, there's more blood sugar to work on, and we don't send this poor cat into hypoglycemia or low blood sugar. So that's exactly what happened to this cat. So he, we, he ended up with, uh, first of all, had a false high blood sugar, raising the insulin. It was all about the Samoji effect. And then his, he wouldn't eat because he wasn't feeling so good, and his blood sugar dropped down to about 30. So now what we had to do is now we had to actually infuse dextrose. We had to infuse sugar into this poor cat. And it took about an extra, when you have a, a problem like that, it takes several days to get them back on track. We have to do some predicting. We have to do some praying. We have to figure out, okay, what is this cat going to surprise us with today? And sure enough, everything is back to normal. But with cats, I always recommend if you have a diabetic cat, I recommend feeding them first, making sure they eat before you give them the insulin. And if they don't eat, then you need to speak with your veterinarian because you may want to modify the amount of insulin you've been giving for that day or waiting a little bit until they do eat. But we want to make sure that we don't send this poor cat into a situation where they end up with too low a blood sugar and then uh, problems can follow. So if you have any questions about that, you can always get a hold of me, drjeff at petliferadio.com, or if you want to be gutsy, call us 877-385-8882. Another interesting case we had, and we don't have it often, it's out there. Any of you uh, out there that have Labradors, it's the number one dog in America, so I assume that some of you may have some labs. I have two plus a Labradoodle, so I have two and a half. And we all know of hip dysplasia, very, very common in our large breeds, but we see a dysplasia in Labradors, Bernese Mountain Dogs, and Rottweilers. I mean, it can happen in any large breed, mind you, but we see a higher prevalence in these breeds, which indicates there might be some genetic predisposition. And that is of an elbow dysplasia called FCP, fragmented coronoid process. And the problem with this one is that you may see a early sign of pain in a dog as he's growing, but they grow out of it. So you didn't think much about it. You ended up not panicking. You didn't run to the veterinarian and it went away. And there it was, we were done. And you didn't think twice about it again. And all of a sudden at five, six years of age, that dog starts limping again, fairly acutely sometimes, suddenly. And you think, oh, I had him at the park yesterday or two days ago. He must've overdid it. I'm going to give it a few days. A few days go by, maybe some rest, maybe some pain medication, doesn't help. And you finally bring him to your vet. We take x-rays, and sure enough, disastrous arthritis in one or both of the joints. That's the problem early on as well, too, that if it happens bilaterally, that means both sides. So what does that tell you? That tells you that the pain was so equal on both sides that the dogs sort of compensated. Sometimes they compensate by just putting a little bit more weight on their back end. So they don't hurt as much on the front end. Sometimes the initial pain comes from the breaking away of the little fragment of the coronoid process. That's why they call it fragmented coronoid process. That is a little painful. But once that fragment seeds, it seems to pain goes away and they seem to do just fine. But over time, without that little piece 
attached where it belongs, there's a certain amount of instability in the joint, which may, is undetectable often, until they get older, until they develop arthritis. And now, with arthritis, the pain starts to rear its ugly head, usually non-responsive, and uh, it presents with a problem. So we take x-rays, and sure enough, especially if it's unilateral, meaning one-sided, you could clearly see the difference in the x-rays between the good leg the leg that did not have the FCP, fragmented coronoid, and the affected leg, the leg that did. And it's dramatic. I mean, it's really dramatic. So, you know, the good news is surgery can still be done on these dogs. Sure enough, we had it recently. That's why I'm talking about it today. And we did go ahead uh, surgically. We had our surgeon come in and open the joint, clean the joint out, removed as much of the what we call joint mice and the arthritis, the changes in the bone, shaving the spicules down, smoothing out the surface, Pulled out a piece of bone, which was originally the fragmented coronet, about yay big, that was sitting there floating in the joint. No wonder this poor dog was in pain. And removed it. We sent it home with the owner in a little, in a little vial. And uh, these dogs do great. I mean, I've had Labradors for 40 years. And um, they have always been you know, amazing dogs. And um, we've had two of my many labs ended up with fragmented coronoid disease. Another one, an oath, one of them also, on top of that, had OCD, osteochondritis, desiccans, not obsessive compulsive disorder. I think he had that anyway, but, but he definitely had the OCD, which is um, it's a bone fragment that, that hits in the shoulder joint. And uh, it's a fragment that, that starts usually when they're growing during development, and it's a cartilage defect in the bone happens usually in the shoulder most commonly, and um, he had that as well. So not only did he have the osteochondritis, desiccans, he also had the fragmented coronary. He had all these letters. He had the FCP. He had the OCD. You know, uh, fortunately, he did not have the canine hip dysplasia, the, the CHD, which was good, but he, uh, after surgeries for both, he did amazingly well. So it's a very treatable disease. It's much better if you catch it early, because if you catch it early and remove that little f- joint mass, that little fragment early, oftentimes they don't develop as much of the arthritis as they do if they don't have it removed early. So anyway, I want to thank you all for being here on Pet Life Radio. Again, I didn't hear from you. I'll be here live next week, back from Los Angeles, uh, here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, 9 a.m. in the West, noon in the East and 11 or 10 Mountain or Central, wherever you are listening from. And remember, write that number down, 877-385-8882, so you can give me a call, drjeff at petliferadio.com, if you'd like to send me any kind of question during the week. And once again, thanks to ProSense and thanks to Kong for being our sponsors here on the show. Don't We'll see you next week. Have a great week, everybody. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.